0: This is a Miskatonic University special report. Hi everyone, Keeper Dan here. This is the recording of the Call of Cthulhu panel at Gen Con 2014, hosted by Mike Mason, who is lead developer for the Call of Cthulhu line at Chaosium. Enjoy! Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming. You are in the... Call of Cthulhu slash Chaosium seminar. If you're in the wrong place, I would leave now. (laughs) Okay, you all look like you're staying on. No! Plan didn't work. Okay. Uh, Well, thanks for coming, as I say. Um, They have seemed to put us in the room farthest from Gen Con, so thanks for your stamina in getting here and finding your way and navigation skills making the uh, the roll. Well done. Um, So, this is a fairly free-form seminar. I have some notes... However, it is going to mainly consist of you asking questions and me answering them. I will talk on and on regardless about stuff, uh, but feel free to stop me at any point. Um, I can obviously talk about the new edition of Call of Cthulhu. I can also talk about forthcoming things and things we're working on in terms of the line. I can answer esoteric questions as best of my ability. Um, Where would you like me to start? What's the general consensus? New edition, new edition, okay, the new edition, right, okay, so, I have no notes on that. it's here, right, so, the new edition, how many of you are backers for the Call of Cthulhu 7th edition, so, just probably over half of you, okay, thank you, backers, thank you very much, uh, you helped to make uh, the new edition possible, um, as you know, uh, if you're a backer, if you're not a backer, you may or may not know, we have a new edition of Call of Cthulhu coming out in the, in the fall this year. Um, it is laid out. It is ready, uh, other than uh, it needs an index. It has, it's currently going through a final um, professional proofread by a professional proofreader. Um, we were waiting to sending send out the proof PDF to backers and we wanted to wait until the professional proofing had been done so we could input those corrections but um, it became a conflict between waiting for that to happen and waiting to then input all those corrections which would take a few weeks to do or just getting it into your guys hands and just letting you start to look at it and you would naturally with so many pairs of eyes would spot additional errors that you know my jaded eyes are certainly like long past seeing. I've seen it, read it so many times. The errors are now virtually invisible to my eyes. Um, so fresh pairs of eyes is always a great help. And so, uh, thanks to uh, any of you, any of the backers that have obviously spotted typos and inconsistencies or things we we need to sort of um, just omit or change. Um, and we will get uh, when we're back from GenCon, we'll start inputting those corrections. The professional proofing document will come in at the same time, and we'll input those corrections if there are any additional ones. Um, And we should be in a good place to then have the actual page layout consistent and nailed uh, to allow us to then index and fill in all those page AAs that uh, you'll see throughout the text, uh, of which we can do nothing with until the book is actually immovable in terms of the pages. Um, So we'll start that process when we get back, and our plan is to, um, with the best will in the world, get that all done before the end of August. So in theory, by the beginning of September, we have a finished master file to be able to actually send to the printer and start the printing process off, allowing um, us then to, all being well, um, get copies back and begin shipping to backers um, towards the end of October and then um, thereafter into November uh, after backer orders have been fulfilled and shipped uh, we would then look to obviously start supplying the trade and getting it into gaming stores and selling it direct from our account but we like uh, Orient Express we are very much committed to ensuring that the products that were back through Kickstarter go to the backers before they go to anyone else basically that's our um, that's our commitment and intention to do that um the rule book is um, about 150 pages longer than the previous edition of Call of Cthulhu. Um, we've had to... Um, well, the whole book has been revised and rewritten. It uses some, um, some parts from older editions that are just great, and we've just refreshed the text if necessary, given it a new uh, polish if needed be. Some bits are just the same. However, um, what we've done is effectively restructure the book so it, is, uh, um, it makes a more logical progression through the rule book. What's happened with previous editions of Kill of Cthulhu is they've been effectively very similar to the previous edition with new things added and bolted on but not essentially written into the text. So you may find um, a combat chapter in 6th edition but you may find other spot rules for combat or other things to do with that kind of arena in other places around the book rather than being consolidated in one area so what we've tried to do is actually consolidate the book as well to make it uh, easier to use and more navigationable. um so it is full color it's the first time um we've done a completely full color call a cthulhu rule book um and um it's required a lot of uh, additional new full-colour art, uh, artwork throughout, which has um, meant we've worked with an, a range of great artists. Um, one of them may be in the room. <laughs> and um, the, um, well, What we also wanted to do was kind of harken back a little bit to the tradition of the game. So... Not many, but there's a few intermittent around, um, traced back to some of the very early editions of Call of the Cathedral. a few pieces of artwork which we kind of love and have uh, kind of kept in there just to kind of have a, you know, a call back to, you know, older times and things like that. So um, that's the rule book itself. Um, I guess it's probably best to I, I, I can start going into details about rules and things and bore you rigid or you can ask questions if you, wanna, if you want a particular question about that kind of thing I guess uh, the player's book is here as well uh, at the end please you know, come. if you're not going to buy the booth already these will be on the booth tomorrow again so please come, come to the booth and have a look through but they'll be here at the end if you want to have a flick through and we've got a few other pages printed out here as well the player's book effectively the rule book is everything you need to play the game character generation, the full rules you don't need any other book to play Call of Cthulhu than this one the player's book is for players and therefore has rules around character generation in there. so it repeats the character generation rules that are in here but because it's a player's book we've added stuff to the player generation so in here you have a small selection of character occupations to choose from classic lovecraftian ones librarian private detective whatever it may be in here you've got over a hundred covering all walks of life and and different things and also periods so predominantly the books are aimed at the kind of classic 1920s periods but also modern day so you have computer programmer and hacker in here as well um so you also have in the player book you have something that um, is, I guess, you call it. Exp- I call it experience packages, which are not in the rule book. Uh, they are kind of optional for the keeper to kind of say, "Yeah, I'd like more experienced investigators," uh, or for players to do the same, and then get their keeper to agree. But basically, um, they're kind of like bolt-on experience packages. So. If you've got a character with war experience, you will have some extra skill points because you probably learnt now to fire a rifle or something or climb a wall or use a map to navigate or whatever. Likewise, you may have a criminal background uh, and um, therefore um, you may be more immune to um, santilos from seeing someone beat up or shot or whatever. You may have a medical background and, again, be immune to sanity loss, but also have additional training in the medicine skills. So there's different things like that. One of the ones is a mythos package. So you may have a starting investigator who's got Cthulhu mythos skill. There's no rule to say you have to start Cthulhu without not knowing anything. You can decide, well, we want to actually have a group of guys and girls who actually have a bit of awareness about the Mythos from day one. And that's why they're doing this. That's why they are trying to hunt it down and discover things. So that's an option in there as well. And so you may start with some Cthulhu Mythos and you may start with actually a lower sanity because of that. Um, so, but they are options. Uh, and what we've tried to do is put core rules in there that are kind of standard across the game and then add in additional options for keepers because the game is like 30 plus years old and you all play it in your own way so what we're trying to do is not say you must play it the way I play it or Paul Fricker plays it or Charlie Crank plays it you play it how you play it what we've done is streamlined some of the rules polished some rough edges got rid of some things that were kind of didn't make really any sense nowadays so why do you, in the middle of a game, need to refer to a chart to see what happens? The resistance table. Why can't you just make a roll and do it? Why do you need to refer to anything? Keep the game moving. Keep focused on what's important, which is the game and the player experience and you having a good time. So things like that we've just tried to streamline. But we bolted in, at the end of uh, the rules chapters, just a series of optional rules. And they are literally that. You can ignore them, you can use bits of them, you can use all of them, however you want. And they're there for you to use, as you will. So optional rules include things like um, spending luck to adjust uh, skill roles. Um, We found that it's literally 50-50. 50% 50 of people love using spending luck to alter roles in their games. They find that it actually helps to drive the story forward. It helps players... um, have a little ownership over the roles in terms of actually I really want to make this role so I'm prepared to actually you know, take my luck down and spend some luck points to make this role because it's important to my character or point for the game. There's a natural consequence is their luck is lowered so when they come to make a luck roll later there's a greater chance that they may fail it. There's always a consequence with Call of Cthulhu in what we've tried to do in terms of the rules. Um, but 50% of people hate that rule and don't want to ever use it great, don't ever use it that's why it's an optional rule Um, and so throughout there are optional rules um, and it's like a toolkit you build the game based on the style that you want to do if you want a more pulpy kind of game then probably using the look points is a really good idea because it allows the character to do a little bit more than just down to the fate of a role however um, as I say with all new rules and whatever game system you try, give it a try You may not think you're going to like it. Give it a try. You may turn out, yeah, you don't like it. You may find that actually this worked really well. I didn't expect it to, but it worked well for my group. Therefore, I'm going to use it or a variation of it in my game. And that's why we've written it this way, to allow you to kind of try things out and find the kind of game and shape that you want to play, which is what role-playing is all about at the end of the day. So... um, we've got the rule book so this the player book effectively is if you want an analogy it is the investigator companion in sixth edition but a bit more focused directly for the player so you know ideally you know every keeper's got one of these and every player's got one of these and you can say right roll up characters and get on with it and they don't have to keep referring to your book but um you know you don't need it to play but it's it will be kind of useful i guess um and both those books should, will come out together uh, to back us. Um, and we also have the, uh, the new Keeper Screen pack, which um, the screen is done. It needs the proofing. But here is the... You're more interested in the back of the screen rather than the front of the screen, I guess, you guys. So that is the back of the Keeper Screen. Uh, you can obviously all read that okay from here, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but feel free to come over at the end and have a look over. But basically, what we've tried to... It's is completely redesigned screen. What we've tried to do is take the important s- sections of the key rules, the core rules, and transfer them onto the screen so they are an aid memoir to keepers. Um, and um, there's useful stuff on there. There is um, a combat flow chart, which, and there's a, a, a damage flowchart, which... When you are having played the game for a while under the you know under the new edition, you may not use that very much, but certainly at the beginning, it's it's quite handy. Just Sky, I still use it. I just thought, what happens if he does that much damage? Okay, that means that. Um, but there's stuff on you know there's combat firearms. <coughs> there's a handy uh, which is carried over from the old screen actually. A handy kind of you know what is one fifth of a this skill quickly on the top handy to do. Um, Bouts of madness, um, phases of insanity, investigative development, um, basic stuff like determining difficulty levels, and uh, some chase rules, and um, human limits and assisting. So how many people does it take to lift a car? There's a little flow flow chart there to help you do that. Um, So you've got the screen, uh, which will be a three-panel thing like... Back way up and um, alongside the screen will be um, a booklet which will have two scenarios in, one of them is Blackwater Creek uh, by Scott Dorwood, which is a uh, 1920s era um, scenario uh, where you can actually come into the scenario in two ways, you can either come in as a group of um, people from the Miskatonic University Or you can play a slightly variant option in terms of entering the game where you actually come in as actually a a group of, well, gangster underlings sent out to find out what's happening with a certain distillery. Uh, The other scenario, there'll be two scenarios, which is a a change for us. Uh, There'll be another scenario called Miss Jews, which is one I wrote, which is uh, again a 1920s scenario. Uh, and again there's a bit of a theme here You, the player characters kind of come from criminal backgrounds in that as well you don't have to do it that way but it kind of works well for the scenario um, and along with the screen certainly for backers will be um, some full colour maps some newly, newly done maps of um, Lovecraft Country um, Arkham Town itself a newly done map for that and also um, a world map um, with um, Mythos Sites and whatnot on there as well. Um, and that will form the, the kind of base core um, Keepers um, Screen Pack. So they're the kind of, if you want to say, core products for the new edition. Uh, and then we obviously have a few, other, um, a few other books that are coming out following on uh, that were part of the stretch goals for the 7th position Kickstarter. Um, so we've got um, things like um, <coughs> Nameless Horrors, which is a um, an anthology of six scenarios uh, which um, cover uh, two Gaslight, two 1920s and two Modern Day. And they're, um, they're written by um, Paul Fricker, Scott Dawood and Matt Sanderson. Um, and each of those is a um, a scenario focusing on a... Well, an unnamed horror. They're not monsters you find in the back of Call of Cthulhu rulebook. They're new, unique things. Um, so if you, are, if you do have an experienced group of uh, Call of Cthulhu players or are, who can spot a deep one at 10 yards, um, it's the kind of scenario that will, they will not know what these things are. Um, and, um, and if you're new to it, well, you don't know anything anyway, so it's cool. So, um, LAUGHTER so they're, they're pretty cool um, so that'll be coming out uh, that's again um, in final kind of proofing at the moment it's laid out we've got artwork in and um, it's all done so it's just in final proofing with the authors and uh, so that's on, on good track in terms of timescales as well <coughs> the, um, the other key book that came out as a stretch goal for Cthulhu 7 was Bulb um, Cthulhu which um has been over 10 years in the making if anyone remembers um it's been a book that's been in development hell i think they would call it um for various reasons um uh, and um but one of you know one of the things we wanted to do was actually finally get this book done and out because we knew there was a, a lot of people out there that were i've been waiting 10 years for this book so it'd be nice to do it so um I gathered in all the material from 10 years and I was told there was mountains of material. It was was far too much and it needed, you know, it obviously needed a lot of reworking and cutting and getting down to the core of, you know, a good book. So I got all the files in and expected, oh, I'm going to, this is going to be a real nightmare and and, um, found there was about six files, in fact, (laughs) and not a great deal there. There was some great stuff that was, there was some, virtually finished chapters which were really good and then there was a lot missing or lost and um so i just said okay fair enough i'll take what i can use and everything else we'll just start from scratch which is what i did so um the cult uh, cult the pulp um the pulp book basically is very much about creating an investigator that can survive Masks of Anathotep basically Um, it's about creating tougher slightly more action orientated player characters very much in in the traditional pulp vein of the pulp magazines of the 1930s into the 40s and in fact the default setting if there is one is the 1930s for Pulp Cthulhu there's no reason why you can't do it in any other period but that's the kind of thought we thought it, it would be nice to kind of, you know, there's a lot of 1920s stuff, especially in the Players' book. Um, it would be the kind of nice to just continue that and have a, you know, a chapter on the 1930s and what was going on, the, the political background, the, the okis and everything else going on in the 1930s, and um, providing, you know, a continuation. So even if you don't use pulp Cthulhu rules, but you want to kind of run stuff in the 1930s, there'll be kind of useful stuff in there as well. But effectively, Pulp Cthulhu um, investigators aren't called investigators. They're called heroes because it's Pulp and you're heroic in Pulp or you're a villain. Pretty much black and white in that sense. Um, So, they have double hit points. Um, They can use... Spending luck is a core rule in Pulp Cthulhu um, because um, Pulp characters are masters of their world. They they always do stuff and there's stuff happening to them and so they need to respond and react but it allows um, luck as a a, a kind of resource in Port Cthulhu is used in a a number of different ways you can use it to affect rolls as in spend five luck points to um, deduct five points from a roll so you pass the roll but you can also do things like you can avoid certain death if you have enough luck points. So if you have 30 or more luck points and you are going to die, you can burn them all and end up on zero luck and survive certain death. But having 30 luck points is not as easy as it sounds in Port Cthulhu because um, there are other things you may want to spend your luck points on. Avoiding your weapon jam or malfunction. Um reducing the sanity loss of a monster because certain pulp heroes can stand up to things a little bit more rigidly than than a standard call of cthulhu characters so you can actually um spend luck points if you take 10 sanity loss you can spend double whatever the sanity loss is in luck points to reduce the sanity loss so you can spend 20 luck points to reduce 10 sanity and this all sounds easy and yeah we can do this and it's no problem. But actually when you're in the middle of a game and you and um you think, oh no, do I do I spend that point now or not? And it's it becomes a real kind of drama in itself. Um and um the playtesting that we've done has has been uh just shown that people have uh have, you know used look points initially and then regret it so it kind of there's a natural kind of inbuilt mechanism to kind of say well are you sure you want to do that you can but you know so people can find themselves getting into very tricky situations which is kind of what Call of Cthulhu is all about at the end of the day the other thing it also introduces is kind of I guess a um, progression or a development from some of the what were called um, traits in gaslight in the last edition of gaslight where there are a number of traits they're not the same uh, but what we have in pulp there is is the a number of pulp talents which um just allow you to kind of tweak your character a little bit but have some p- possible game <laughs> effect it may be that you are a uh, a good talker so actually there's a there's a benefit to when you make charm rolls it may be that you're pretty resistant to damage so you may not take quite as much damage from certain things it may be that you do more damage and they cover across the spectrum from kind of combat skills to dexterity skills to it's kind of mental and uh, learning skills and just general kind of things you may do in the game and you don't get many of them the key you know we kind of you can vary the level of pulpiness of the game and we give some advice on that in the book you know you may you could run pulp without any without using the pulp talents at all and using some of the stuff it'd still be kind of pulpy you can use the pulp talents as we say which is normally about one or two per character and that's about right you can go if you want to go real hardcore pulpy you can maybe give characters more than maybe four pulp talents each if you wish but again As many things in the new edition are, it's kind of optional for you to kind of get the level that you want. But as I say, throughout, there's plenty of advice to kind of help you to gauge that and try that for your game. The converse of all this with um, sanity and insanity in Pulp is what we wanted to do was kind of get to a point where could you kind of create Herbert West using Pulp? And so we tried to develop that into the insanity rules. So when you go insane in pulp, it's still the same stuff as in Call of Cthulhu. However, uh, one of the things the the keeper may say is actually you get a a, um, an insane talent, which when you're insane allows you to do this slightly crazier thing. But when you're sane, it doesn't work quite in the same way. Um, So you can, you know, um, I went insane. I, I, I created a, a pulp character for a, a game I was playing in, and uh, it was, I just created a kind of a hired muscle, you know, man of action, no brain at all, talks with his fists. Simple to play. And um, he, uh, he went insane, and so the keeper gave him insane brutality, which means I just keep hitting until it's dead, which is fine for most of the time, unless it's a um, spawn of Cthulhu. Which means i 'm on the wrong end of the stick, but um, so there 's things like that in the game, and uh, there'll be uh, I think about four scenarios in the back of that as well, uh, which stem from kind of you know pulp gangster to uh, investigation on a on a boat going to china. Uh, And some others that I can't remember at the minute. But they're all pretty cool. But anyway, that's Pulp. Um, Oh, there's also Psychic Powers have been putting Pulp as an option. If you want a character that can do um, telekinesis, that kind of stuff, then the rules are in there for that. And also Mad Science as well. If you like your Pulp with gadgets and rocket packs, there are rules in there for that. But again, it's optional. you don't want rocket packs in your game, guess what? Don't use them. But it's there if you want it. So, um, yeah. Uh, tougher PCs, which allow you to play bigger monsters. So, one deep one will be a walk in the park for most Pulp Cthulhu character parties. It allows you to throw in Starspawn of Cthulhu, it allows you to throw in Shoggoths, and not worry about TPKs. They will, you know, they'll stand their ground and they'll have a fight on their hands, but it allows you to play some of these beasts that you very rarely do in Standard Call of Cthulhu games. So, um, which is kind of nice. You can kind of take the gloves off and not worry about it in that way. <coughs> so, um, what else? Oh, card decks. Um, as part of the Kickstarter, we uh, we did um, four card decks, which kind of support the game. Um, and there's a, um, a Phobia deck, a Weapons deck, a Characters deck, and an um, Unfortunate Events deck. And basically they're there to just assist the Keeper, really. Um, and uh, the Weapon deck is pretty straightforward. It's got weapons and some artifacts, mythos, things like a Mist Projector, for instance, as well as a forty-five. So it may. Be, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I'm running a game and uh, a wep- and a, key, a player says, "Oh, I've, you know, is 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 you know, can I pick up the cultist gun that he's just dropped?" They go, "Yeah, well, yeah, you can." And you go like, really? And they go, "What's the stats?" Just a second, so I can just give them the card. There you go. There's the stats on that. It helps speed things up a little bit. That's the kind of really base nature of that kind of card. But uh, and the same with the phobia deck. You can say, well, you know, you've, um, you've got agoraphobia. There you go. That's what it means. This is what it does. Um, and the same for, uh, and the phobia deck has lots of phobias. It's got bounce-up bounce as well. It's kind of like, what happens, what does it mean if I say you're, you've got amnesia? There you go. Read that and then put that into your character. And it will give you some guidance on doing that. Um, they're pretty straightforward. The character's deck is pretty straightforward. You've got a range of npcs with a, an image and fully started out with stats and skills uh, some background notes and a secret everyone's got a secret which you can use or not use it's up to you but like one of them might be a serial killer secret serial killer secret uh, likes collecting shoes doesn't yeah you however know, um So, the character's deck is there if you need a random NPC and you suddenly think, okay, the guys have gone off, slightly off off reservation, and gone to a library you hadn't thought they were going to go to, and they say, who's the librarian? That's the librarian. Um, Equally, um, you can use them as replacement PCs. You're in the middle of a game near the end, your PC's just died, and you need a replacement PC quickly. There you go, all the stats are there. Um, so they're kind of handy shortcuts, I guess, is the way to use it. Equally, you can use them in the way that you can think, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a scenario and I'm going to use these characters in it so they're pre satted and just have that set of characters there ready to go. Um, you can just use the photos on the one side and go, like, actually, in my published scenario, I've got these characters who kind of look like these characters, so I can show them to the people, like, this is who you meet. You forget the stats on the back, you just use the photos. So they're kind of, as I say, they're kind of little player aids, keeper aids that help things along. Um, the Unfortunate Events deck is um, more along the lines of a, a complete collection of unfortunate things you could do to a player, basically. So um, they could be, you could use them as a result of failing a pushed roll, you could use them just to mess with people's heads or when you feel like it or when you when the player knows they've just gone and done something stupid and you go i've got the perfect one for you so you may not use them randomly you might kind of pre-select them but there's ones like um the classic situation that the players you know the players have got all the information they've collected um on the investigation and and they've said oh we'll put it in we we'll put it in max briefcase great okay and then they've gone off and been distracted, and you know the briefcase has been left unattended, and they've forgotten all about it. And normally you'd just you know, maybe let it ride, but you could play the card with they that, and say, "Well, this is what happens." And um, they open the briefcase, and all their stuff is gone, and inside's a severed hand or something like that. Yeah. And uh, so there's there's lots of stuff, and they're they kind of um, I tried to write them that they're fairly generic that you could use them in multiple ways. Uh, but they're kind of also there for inspiration as well to help you think about oh, that how something like that would be cool to do happen now in my game so they're kind of little shortcuts and um, use them as you will I guess um, so that's a kind of rushed overview of the kind of new edition some of the stuff coming out for it the one, th- oh, the one book I should have mentioned is the field guide um, we as a stretch goal, we're, gonna, we're redoing the old um, Sandy Peterson Field Guide to Cthulhu Monsters and Dreamlands Monsters. The main difference is we're going to combine them into one book, so it'll be the Peterson Guide to cthulhu Monsters of... Well, Monsters of Cthulhu and the... I can't remember the title. Something like that. They'll be in one book. And um, what we have doing is... Uh, I've written it, I've basically revised the original, um, so it's pretty much the same text as, as what Sandy originally wrote, uh, with just uh, a little polish here and there, or a little bit of additional information where it was needed. But most of 90% is um, really, well, 99% is pretty much Sandy's original text. Yeah, the Kickstarter's closed. Um, so all the stuff I'm talking about uh, will be going out to uh, those initial Kickstarter backers initially. But then uh, within weeks of that going out, it will then be going into into retail and be available direct from the Calcium site as well. So this is all going to be general general stuff. Um, and our uh, our French licensee Edition Sans Tour, who um, who did um, what many people you know think is a great rule book design, uh, they're going to do the layout and all of the art for the new uh, Peterson Field Guide. So we're really looking forward to seeing that as well. Uh, so that's in process there currently working away on that they have the text they've got art coming in and uh, we're going to be seeing some of that hopefully in the next few weeks and seeing how that's progressing so that should be a cool book and that pretty much is very um, background orientated there's not much rules or stats in that it's very much a you know a, a, almost like a coffee table piece almost and so that's the other the other part coming from the, uh, the Kickstarter so okay. um, then um, I guess what I'd do is just talk a little very quickly about some stuff we have post the Kickstarter uh, about other products we're working on or we have in development uh, just to give you a flavour of of where we're going with some new material I mentioned in the uh, MU podcast uh, earlier this afternoon that we have uh, a new edition of um, Cthulhu Dark Ages in process at the moment we've got a uh, the whole book has been rewritten by Chad Bowser, uh, it builds on the original edition but also expands greatly on it as well with, uh, and that will be a supplement, it won't be a standalone rule book, I kind of felt that as we we're releasing a new rule book if a few months later we release another rule book which is effectively a carbon copy of the first one with a few differences it's kind of, it seemed like a waste of paper, so I'd rather fill, fill up the Dark Ages book as a supplement and give you the Core rules for, that, that are specific to the Dark Ages, and say, well, if you want to know how to do a combat, well, just refer to your call it for a rule book. If you want to know how to do mounted combat, then here it's in here. So that allowed us a lot more space to actually fill out on background and setting and um, uh, the monster section and life in the Dark Ages. So there's chapters, there's a chapter for, actually for players on what's it like to live in the Dark Ages. Short answer awful. Um, and then there's a Keeper chapter on stuff going on and then there's a Mythos chapter for overlaying what could be happening in terms of Mythos stuff going on in the Dark Ages too, so that's, that's kind of in development that's, that's written, it's in the middle of, uh, it's been edited it's in the process of being proofed, and artwork will start to be commissioned in the next few weeks And uh, so we're hoping to see that kind of coming out sometime early ish next year Um, We have um, another scenario, a standalone scenario that's uh, uh, in the the, um, fashion of Deadlight and uh, Canis Mysterium, which is just a single scenario book, um, called Cold Harvest. Uh, That also happens to be written by Chad Bowser. um, And that is set in um, Stalinist Russia. And uh, you play a team of NKVD agents who are sent to a remote... Um, farm collective to ascertain well, there's a couple of things you can get one, ascertain why production is dropping low, but there's also an optional uh, intro into it where you're actually going to arrest someone who's been you know, a dissident and, um, and various shenanigans as you can imagine ensue from there um, so uh, we also um, have a, a selection, uh, another scenario anthology called Doors to Darkness which uh, has been um, compiled and edited together by brian Salmons, and we've got a range of great authors whose names you will recognize like tom lynch and whatnot in that book Uh, but that book is specifically written for beginning keepers so um they are kind of um fairly small focus scenarios uh which um give also a bit of guidance that there's actually a um an intro from kevin ross about getting into Cthulhu in terms of as a keeper some hints and tips some good you know good advice for all of us in there as you can imagine um and the set of scenarios which are which are particularly aimed at keep beginning keepers but you know I'm sure you know will be useful to you know more experienced keepers too they can pull apart and add stuff to and and go forward as they like um we also have a pulp campaign that will follow the pulp book, um, next year sometime, which is a, uh, a world spanning epic campaign. Um, it's called the two headed serpent. And, um, that's the only clue I'm going to give you to the content. But, um, you, uh, you travel the world, meet very large monsters and, um, get into all sorts of trouble, which is exactly what my character is doing at the moment when I'm in the middle of play testing it. Um, we also have um, H.P. Lovecraft's Arkham book currently being revised uh, and just um, updated to the uh, 7th edition and a little bit of new material sprinkled in there as well and uh, Brian Simons is uh, working on that currently. We also have um, Scott David Analowski who's uh, working on a, uh, just a refresh of the Malleus Monstrorum and uh, when he's done that, fingers crossed, he's going to start work on the volume two of the Malice Monster on as well, but that's quite a big project, so it may take a little while to get done. Um, and um, the other thing I'll say is um, one of the complaints we get or the requests we get is um, there's quite a lot of love for Gaslight. How many how many people like Gaslight here? Give me a rough idea. At least half would yeah, be okay. Cool. Okay, and so there's always been, oh, why didn't you do more Gaslight? I love Gaslight, so yeah, let's do more Gaslight. So um, I'm really pleased to say that uh, Mark Morrison and Penelope Love have, um, I kind of twisted their arm a bit a few months back and said, mm, now you've finished Orange Express, you've got nothing else to do. Yeah. Um, you're probably a bit bored. Why, you know, uh, fancy doing another one? Yeah. Um, and uh, when I mentioned the magic words Gaslight, they kind of went, all right then so um, they uh, well Penelope has uh, plotted out a campaign a loose structure and um, and which is really nice and uh, and uh, they've now approached started to approach some uh, contributing authors to help them write different parts and uh, Oscar Reyes is one who said yeah Alan Bly who wrote Deadlight has said yes and uh, some others um, who uh, yeah you'll recognize their names and and so that's obviously only just starting so it's going to be some time before that comes out but um i think it's important that you know we give um each of the lines uh some love basically you know 1920s and a bit of modern day is getting it um dark ages is definitely getting it uh gaslight is getting it which leaves invictus and um obviously I've had a chat with Mr Bowser about Invictus and uh, he seemed pretty keen that you know, maybe we could um, take a relook at Invictus as well down the line in due course. Leaving us Dreamlands, which nothing's been done on yet, but we'll get to that in time. That's stuff that's going on at the moment. There are some other things that are really top secret and I couldn't possibly tell you that involve two completely new settings um, that haven't been done well. Bits of them have been done in odd scenarios here and there, uh, but um, there's never been full on source books for those settings. So they're, they're in development too at the moment as well. Um, so that's me. <laughs> um, I'm just going to open you guys to questions and say, what, what else can I tell you? How can I help you? We are in the final stages of wrapping up two large Kickstarter programs. Are there any thoughts on doing any more in the future? Um, We never say never, um, but our focus at the moment is getting those finished and getting the products to the backers who help to make them very successful. Um, We've got a couple of ideas of things that could potentially be Kickstarter. What we don't want to do is every book through Kickstarter, because we don't need to. And uh, what we want to do is special things through Kickstarter that, that, one, we're not quite sure whether the audience is really there for it, or actually... Um, doing it through Kickstarter actually allows to do a a much better, maybe larger or more plusher version than we would normally do Um, so there's a couple of things we have in mind but we're not going to go in near them until um, 7th edition and Orient Express have shipped and and out and done out the door Um, we've had a breather and the other kind of stipulation I'm kind of trying to ensure is that we don't go to Kickstarter until we have the product pretty much, certainly written, and uh, certainly we have some artwork for, that we're not, we're not going to Kickstarter too early in the process, you know, I think um, it's important we try and speed up our delivery time I think going forward is, is what I'm trying to aim for um, yeah um, with there's so much Fifth, sixth edition, and back content, and the seventh edition rules aren't too far, but there they are there they there are some pretty critical differences. And is there any sort of um, like g- conversion guide? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are some yeah there are some rules tweaks. There are some new things in there, and uh, yeah, But effectively seventh edition is completely backwards <coughs> compatible. Um, I was explaining to a guy on the stand uh, yesterday talking about stat lines. Um, in terms of characteristics, in 7th edition we, just, we have just changed them all to percentages. So you're just taking a 3 to 18 number and times 5 and made it into percentage. So make a strength roll, just roll your strength. Um, but obviously older editions don't have that written like that. And you could have to... You know, maybe you want to go through and times 5 all the stats and write them in. But like I said to the guy on the stand... How many times do you have an NPC make a characteristic roll? Hardly ever. So I wouldn't ever bother doing that. The, the few times that you need to do it, um, well, you just do the times five roll and, and do it. But very rarely, you know, you need that. The, the skills are all the same in that respect. But at the back of the, uh, well, back of both books actually, uh, there's advice on if you want to um, uh, develop your character, you. Know, you sorry, there's um, advice on backwards compatibility, either bringing 6th edition products into 7th or transferring 7th into 6th if that's what you want to do, but there is yeah, guidance on doing that, how you do it and uh, it's pretty straightforward it's, it's pretty much the rule is times or divide by 5 that's about it really um, um, so yeah, we don't our experience through playtesting and feedback is you can just pick up a, an older scenario and just run it from the book without any prior preparation really because the scenario is the same the, the, the combat skills are the same there might be a one hit point difference in just the way that we round down more in 7th edition rather than round up so keep the hit points the same or take one off, it doesn't matter so um, it's I, I've just not encountered an issue with backwards compatibility in any way um, at all so I've, you know it works but there is a, a, a conversion page somewhere yeah there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, an appendix at the back which gives you that if you want to convert your 6th edition character to 7th because we, have, we kind of uh, streamlined some of the skills so 6th edition there's sneak and hide as two skills 7th edition we just call it stealth and have one skill so it gives you advice what to do with your skill points as in normally or we'll put them into stealth and if you've got a few extra put them somewhere else but, there's some rules around that to help you, help you to work through that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anything else? <laughs> Stunned you into silence. <laughs> Hi. I was wondering, um, the training, like, things like GameCon and other buildings, um, will be asking the uh, sponsoring any uh, events? Well, we we, we, we we already do in, in the sense of the um, the MU schools and U and Cthulhu. Um, you know, we we um, we provide support to the guys running that and to the players in those games. We provide prizes and uh, try and do convention support wherever we can. And um, if you are doing some, you know, doing some of our stuff at a convention and you want our help, then let us know and we'll do our best to try and help you. Can't always promise that we can do everything, but you know, we'll we'll try and help as much as we can. Was there any cross-pollination between the uh, astounding adventures and culture uh, yeah, uh yeah. I mean the um one of the direct things I just stole and credited in the book to Astounding Adventures is is the red line uh advice, which is just great common sense. Which is, redlining is just basically move it on. If you're travelling from this bit of the adventure to that bit of the adventure, and the bit in between is actually just travel, nothing happening, redline it. You go from there to there. Right, now we're here. Let's move on. But you can also do that in terms of play. You know, your players are sitting around and waiting for something to happen. Redline it to when it happens. Um, So, you know, pulp is very much about keep it moving. If the players aren't doing something, do something to them. Because it's pulp. Yeah, it literally is, you know, every pork game will never be injured by the feds knocking on the door and coming, hands up, this is a, you know. um, So, yeah, very much so. Any more? Did you agonise over the decision to uh, take of Cthulhu, the story, out of the book and move it to... um, to the quick start and also the hunting. Uh, uh, yes, yeah. is the answer. Mm-hmm. Agonising. Yes. Um, about two years ago, uh, me and Paul had a conversation around both of those things, and my view was they have to be in the rule book. And Paul was a little bit more kind of, well, you know, uh, they've been in there a long while. Maybe you could make a bit of room for. You know, the, uh, no, no, they have to be in the rule book. And of course. You come to regret your words sometimes and and, um, you realise actually um, this book is now 450 pages larger than what it used to be because of all the additional artwork and stuff in there and you know and um, and you kind of think well it's going to be 500 pages if we keep the haunting in and the thing and you have to face the economies of book production, what the actual retail cost will be that's you know, a reasonable retail cost for a role playing book. And um and you have to kinda of make the call and I had to make the call and it was that uh, whilst I would love the Call of Cthulhu story to be in this book, it's not. And so I thought, well, what's the best place for it? Well, if you're new to role playing or new to Call of Cthulhu, you're probably gonna pick up the quick start first because it's free on the website. Um wouldn't that be a really good place if you don't know any Lovecraft to have the Call of Cthulhu story? And it kind of made sense actually. That would be better to have it in there. Um, and the Hauntings already in the Quick Start because it's a great starter scenario, and we put lots of advice about how to run it. You know, when we did a refresh of it, and so it kind of just made sense, um, and it allowed us to put you know to have new scenarios in the book. So it kind of like existing, you know, our existing fans and players. Get lots of new cool stuff in the rule book, and they're not having to go through stuff they've already got six copies of already, you know. So it kind of, in the end, I kind of went, yeah, okay, Paul, you were right. I thought of this is a question and request, but Beyond the Mountains of Madness is ever going to get us to rework, rewrite, re-publish? Would you like it to be? Yes. How many of you would like a new edition of Beyond the Mountains of Madness? Yeah. I can't see any hands. So no, we don't need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big book guys there's a lot of work um yeah i mean it's something uh yeah we know there's a a lot of love for matters of madness as a campaign um and uh, it's definitely on our hit list to do at some point and um yeah i've had a few conversations with a few people who were involved originally and and um just gives a desire there to kind of you know Revisit some of their parts and things like that, and uh, and uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to happen very soon. Work might start sooner than later, but I think it's a big book, and um, I think one of the um, one of the key kind of pieces of feedback comes from that campaign is that it it is quite a linear campaign in that it uh, you know is literally A to B to C, and there are parts in it that are very kind of out of the players' hands where the main Characters in it, are they? In the, are the NPCs leading the expedition? And so sometimes with more experienced players, they tend to feel a little bit kind of sidelined. Sometimes, uh, whereas a, whereas a group of newer players to Cthulhu may may actually it works fine for them. Um, and I, I guess in my head, this kind of a uh, the question is: well can we not do both? Can we not have? Yeah, it's it's a it works for a kind of a a, a less experienced group of people. Um, but equally why can't we have some advice alongside that says actually why can't the PCs be Stark Weather and More? Maybe change their names even, make it make it the you know, a different named exhibition based named after the PCs. Let them play some of the key roles if in the more experienced group where that might work better. So the most difficult part of that is obtaining it right now. It's been nice that you can now offer it in PDF, but Have you ever looked at email like, on the uh, it, n- well, yeah, it's kind of like it's unlikely we would just do a straight reprint because um, I think it's a responsibility that we, when we republish older material, we have a responsibility to go through that and either just make sure it's, it's as error-free as possible at the very least. But I think you know, with a new edition, we should it should be consistent, and we should take the time to. Um, look at things that maybe needed a l- little better explanation or filling out, or where it maybe got a bit weighty, we could trim a little, make it a little leaner. Um, and also look at the format. It's a big book. Half of the book virtually is just actually background material for players. Um, you know, one option could be, well, we could maybe follow the, the mould of the Orange Express and make it a box set where it's actually got multiple books, where the scenarios are separate to the actual background equipment manuals which you want to give to players and things like that that's you know I'm not saying that's what we're going to do but there are options I think we you know it's responsible for us to actually look at actually how can we make this product better for you guys rather than just saying here it is again and I think that's kind of where I come from anyway so it sounds like you're saying that beyond uh, uh, amounts of matters would be Sort of the thing that you'd be looking at concerns for, as opposed to. Uh, well, possibly. I mean, not, but not necessarily. I mean, as I say, you know, there are. It, it's one of those projects that's big enough and is special enough, and and that you know, if we were to do, if we were to do it that way, then it would certainly be considered for it. You know, um, but not necessarily guaranteed. But certainly, we look at whether whether it would add value to doing it in that way. Yeah. It's got a lot of yeah, I mean, there's a there's a certainly potential. Um, sort of on the, the same topic as uh, reprints and stuff. Like, are you guys are you guys aiming for sort of like a hundred percent availability via PDF for older material? Um, we uh, uh, some some material um, is uh, yeah, we've we've already you know made available in that way, and so, uh, other things obviously uh, over. Some material is quite old, and um, we have to look at rights issues and um, whether it's compatible, really, even anymore, or whatever. Or whatever it be, you know. So we have to take everything on a case-by-case case basis. Um, but you know, where possible, we've made you know as uh, as much things as we can at this point in time available you know, via PDF and electronically. Uh, and we are starting to do you know trying to do ebook versions, Kindle versions of things, and we we've, we've got a few of those kind of things coming out. I'm not quite still sure how role-playing books work on a Kindle, but they kind of work for reading, but I'm not sure how easy they are to run from a Kindle but, uh, or a, an iPad or whatever. But certainly we're looking at kind of multiple electronic formats to try and see what works for people, really, and uh, give them a try. And people don't like them, well, we don't need to do them again. But if they do, we could do more. And um, so it, they're all possibilities, you know. <coughs> Anyone else? nearly on time that's grand okay cool well I'll shut up because I've been talking far too long and hopefully I've answered uh, your key questions and if I've not please come by the booth 501 I'm here all week and um, come and talk to me if you want to ask any particular any particularly difficult questions I'll try and answer and um, and obviously come along have a look through the books if you've not yet if you're not a back end you've not seen the proofs um, come along have a look through see what you think. Um, now, come and look at the keeper screen if you want to have a look at it. And um, also, while you come over, ah, oh, huh. this is a real quandary. Okay. Who's a backer of the Orient Express? Okay. For you people, can you come up to the table first, please? Like now, I'm going to show you something that as backers... I think you need to see first. And my apologies to the other backers who aren't in the room, and we'll get a picture of this up to you guys as soon as possible. But I will give you a caveat. These aren't the finished version. But these are the Orange Express dice that people have been asking about for some time. We finally have a set. The colour is wrong. <laughs> because you can't read them. But we, we've had a conversation. But if you look close, pick them up. But basically, there is a, a design of a kind oh, of train front nice. oh, cool. with an elder sign. Okay. and um, these from Q Workshop. These Ooh. are from Q Workshop, yeah. and now that you guys have seen them, anyone else want to come up? <laughs> Be my guest. What colour are they using? Are they? Uh, I think they're gonna they're gonna actually ink them in black. So black, it's uh, yeah.